Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In July 1960. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 68, my family and I were living in a small town west end of Montrose County called Buravan, Colorado. In the early morning, I was awakened by the barking of a family dog named Tippy outside my bedroom window. Tippy never really barked unless someone or something was in a yard that wasn't supposed to be. I remember waking up out of dead sleep and hearing Tippy constantly barking and wondering why my older brother, whose sleeping bunk above and my parents sleeping in the bedroom joining ours, weren't telling Tippy to quit. Finally, I had enough of it and decided to turn over in my bed and look out the window myself. When I did, I couldn't believe what saw. There it was a small circle ship with its landed gear down and hatch with stairs fold down to the ground. Next to the ship were green lizard-like beings. Their eyes were bright yellow and some tanks were on their backs in another bag. They didn't have fingers but had web hands that looked like a bow and arrow. Their body was thin and scaly, 
Their legs were also thin, and their feet had V-shaped toes. I remember thinking to myself this was some kind of hunting party because my dad was a bow hunter himself, and that kind of gave me the idea. I could tell they were searching for something. Then another alien came off the ship. It was much bigger than the others and seemed to give the others orders. Tippy again began her barking, and the alien close to our house seemed to be upset with her barking. I could see it looking over at Tippy, and it started walking over to her. I then jumped off my bed and headed into my parents' room to wake my mother up. I remember how hard it was to wake her. She acted like she was on a heavy drug or something. I couldn't get her to wake up. Finally was able to get her up and told them something was going on outside and that it was going hurt Tippy. She was still not awake and was sluggish. My mother followed me to my bedroom. Once there, I showed what I was seeing outside. I don't know what they did to my mom, but she couldn't see them. All she wanted to do was sleep. Finally, my mother got up from my bed and told me to crawl to the other side of my bed away from the window. I did what I was told. The last thing remember before going to sleep was looking over in the closet where the window cast light on my clothes and saw two of the lizard beings trying to look in the window. No other sound came from Tippy. My mother wasn't drinking or taking anything that would cause sedation. I firmly believe they did something to the family to make them sleep. It just didn't work on me. In the morning, the first thing I did was to run out and check on Tippy and my PGs. Sure enough, she was lying in the front yard waiting for kids to come to play with her. She acted like nothing had happened the night before. I was twelve years old at the time, and the memory is etched in my conscience. It was not a dream or hallucination. I've included an image of what the lizard people looked like. Interestingly enough, on the same night my mother passed away in 2016, she asked me if I had remembered seeing the lizard people in their ship in our yard in Colorado. That was the only time she acknowledged witnessing the incident. The Tongass National Forest, located in the rugged wilderness of Alaska, is a place of raw beauty and untamed wilderness. Towering ancient trees reach towards the heavens. Their branches intertwined like a protective canopy against the sky. The forest is teeming with life, from the graceful flight of bald eagles to the elusive footprints left behind by bears and wolves. But beneath its serene facade, there lies a dark undercurrent, a whispered legend of strange creatures lurking deep within the woods. It is in this enigmatic setting that I find myself, Anna, a diligent park ranger with a passion for protecting the natural wonders of the world. Transferred to Tongass National Forest after a heated disagreement with my former boss, I couldn't help but feel a sense of trepidation as I set foot in this new territory. Rumors of bizarre sightings and unexplained phenomena echoed through the park ranger community, but I dismissed them as mere tales meant to thrill campfire gatherings. As I delved into my duties conducting routine patrols and ensuring the safety of visitors, I gradually became aware of a subtle shift in the forest's atmosphere. Whispering voices carried on the wind, their words elusive and indiscernible. Shadows danced at the periphery of my vision, vanishing as I turned to face them. 
Strange occurrences became part of my daily routine, a rustle in the undergrowth where no creature should be, an inexplicable chill running down my spine in the dead of summer. With each passing night, the forest revealed more of its chilling secret. It started one evening as I sat alone in my ranger cabin, poring over maps and reports. A growl, guttural and unnatural, reverberated through the walls. Startled, I rose from my chair and rushed outside, my heart pounding in my chest. The night air was thick with anticipation as I scanned the area, but I found no trace of its origin. Just as I turned to retreat, my gaze fell upon a pair of glowing eyes in the distance, a haunting, unearthly luminescence that pierced the darkness. Driven by an insatiable curiosity, tinged with a tinge of fear, I cautiously ventured towards those mesmerizing orbs. The forest seemed to hold its breath as I closed the gap, my footsteps echoing in the eerie silence. And then there it was a creature unlike anything I'd ever seen, standing on two legs like a man, yet possessing the snarling visage of a wild beast. It resembled the infamous dogman of folklore. Its hulking figure, covered in matted fur, seemed to blend seamlessly with the shadows. With trembling hands, I steadied my rifle and took aim. The sound of the gunshot reverberated through the forest, accompanied by a growl that sent shivers down my spine. The wounded creature retreated, disappearing into the depths of the woods, but not before casting me a piercing glare that chilled me to the core. As my heart raced with adrenaline, I approached the cave from where the creature had emerged, and there, in the pale glow of my flashlight, I made a horrifying discovery. The cave floor was littered with the remains of hikers, bones, torn clothing, and gear strewn haphazardly. The realization hit me like a physical blow. This creature, this dogman, had been hunting unsuspecting victims within these very woods, feasting upon their lives in a macabre dance of death. Distressed and filled with anxiety, I fumbled for my radio and called for backup. The police arrived, their presence bringing a semblance of comfort amidst the nightmare that had unfolded. I recounted the events, my voice trembling with the weight of what I had witnessed. The remains of nearly twenty hikers painted a grim picture of the forest-hidden horrors. As a native Michigander, I remember back in the 90s my stepbrother, James, my cousin Lalo, and three other friends of mine and I were up at Houghton Lake during the summer for some fishing, swimming, drinking, and smoking weed, things that guys do in their twenties. It was fun and great memories, and none of us have ever heard, let alone know about Dogman. Anyways, it was an uneventful day besides the typical fun we all had. Now, as the day was ending and the sun was going down, not quite sunset, but close. We all packed into James Ford's tin pickup after we finished cleaning up and packing our bock and fishing equipment. Lilo had another joint left at the time, real good red hair, Sensi. James was like, there's a dirt road that goes around the lake. Do you guys want to drive down it and see where it goes? We all said yes, and we drove out to explore this newly found road. So as we're driving down this dirt road, the foliage was like prehistoric times, with huge ferns as shrubbery, 
The sun was beginning to set, and the tree canopy was making its surrounding area darker than it is. So James pulls over on the side of the road, turns off the engine, gets out, and starts walking into the woods. Someone asked what he was doing, and James replied, I'm going to explore the area. So we all get out and follow behind him. There's no trail, so James, who's leading, is making a trail. Well, there's an incline, and we're all walking up, and it's getting darker every second. Suddenly James stops, and my cousin, who's behind James, asks why he stopped. James, from what I was told later, said, Do you hear that? Looking intently into the growing darkness of the woods. Lalo says, Yeah. What is it? I don't know, answered James. Now we all stopped wondering what was going on. Now we didn't go too far into the thick woods, maybe fifty yards up the slope. Suddenly I hear, oh, shit, and see James running past me, and I hear my cousin saying the same thing seconds later and running back down to the truck. I'm last in the liberty, confused since information is barely reaching me, but my cousin and stepbrother are running for their lives. Remember it now, getting pitch dark, and as everyone else except me has turned around, making their way back to James's pickup, I start hearing branches or sticks breaking. By now, I'm the only one who hadn't turned around yet, and it's only been seconds. So I hear sticks, maybe branches, breaking, and something is making its way towards me, and it's picking up speed. I then around now, filled with fear, and run as fast as I can down the slope. I tripped on an exposed tree root and sprained my ankle, but I don't stop and continued my way to the pickup. This thing was close behind me. Now I'm about five, maybe ten feet away from James's pickup, and all the guys were in it yelling at me to hurry up. I dive onto the bed of James's truck. James steps on the gas and peels out as fast as that V6 can take that tiny S10. All I can hear is, did you see that? What the hell was it? James is saying, yeah, and I don't know. I and Brian were asked, what did they see? James couldn't answer because he wasn't sure neither could my cousin. They both just said they can't believe it. Now I never saw anything, nor did my two other friends who were behind my cousin. Just James and Lalo saw it, and they never elaborated on what they saw. Maybe they couldn't believe their eyes. I was maybe 25 years old at the time, and today I'm 52. I only knew of Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, and Yefos. It was only five years ago did I first hear about the dogman. I know there is another dogman encounter surrounding the Houghton Lake area. Did they see a dogman? I don't know, but this is my experience and belief that they did. I don't talk to my stepbrother or my cousin Lilo and haven't in 15 years. Still, I can't help but think about what exactly did they both see. When I was in middle school, I coon hunted a lot, mostly with my dad, but I knew the hills and the hollers enough around our home in West Virginia that he would let me take friends. I could go anywhere I wanted or the dogs led us, but I was told to shy away from this one old home place up in the hills. See, before the government owned it, my great-great-grandmother's people owned it. She lived to the age of 107 and died when I was 15. She would always tell us if the dogs head to the old Rooney place, come home, 
the dogs will come out on the other side of the creek, or backtrack you all back out. No use. You go fooling around that place. Well, one night, me and my friend Nubs, he's got nine and a half fingers due to a log splitter accident when he was ten, decided that we were gonna hunt that hollow exclusively. Had to be a prize grade, a coon up there. Nobody hunts it. We took off up the creek road on foot with three of the best dogs I've ever had, Jake. Big, broad, blue tick with a cold nose. Slim Jim, hot-nosed red tick. And Trapper John, mean, bedeviled, extremely talented hound. Now you know when you get to the Rooney place because it's this big flat at the end of the creek road with big half-dead field trees and piles of field stones about every thirty feet at random for about half a mile that gradually turns up into a draw that peters out on the face of the mountain. This is before GPS collars or any of that stuff. I used my dad's old carbide lamp to walk by, and Nubs would use his dad's old wheat miners, light to spot way up in the tree. We would let the dogs run till we heard them bellowing our those long, bald barks to signify a treed and walk to the dogs and dispatch the coon. About five hundred yards ahead, with a short chase, the dogs barked treed. We started walking towards them up in the mouth of the cove. Then the dogs took off again. This is not unheard of. A coon can jump tree, come down another, and sneak off, and a circling dog picks up the fresh track, and off they go again. This happened six more times in the next two hours. That was definitely weird. And then everything went silent. That's when I started shaking. I knew my dogs. I've watched two of them fight bear. Nothing scared them. All the dogs came back to us with tail tucked head low, quiet as hell. We were working on an exit plan when, you know, when you shake a tree limb that it's rained on all night and all the raindrops fall off all at once and hit the ground that happened about twenty yards behind me. Only this was a big rock oak, about seventy-five feet to the first limb. Well, we were trying to see what was in that tree. Damned if the same thing didn't happen to the tree we were standing under. When Trapper John pissed himself at my feet, I knew we had to get the hell out of that hollow. We backed out of there and ran home as fast as we could. Never hunted near the Rooney place again. I can't say for sure what was in that tree, but to me it looked like a man running through the treetops. It was years before I ever ventured in that place in the daylight. Did a little digging at the courthouse when I was in college. Come to find out it was a logging town when the Spanish flu came through. Had a mill and everything. The flu killed so many people in that town that there wasn't enough living to bury the dead. My hometown's people went up and buried the dead. If you take a black crayon and a piece of paper and scroll it on the biggest rock of the pile, it's names of the dead buried there. My great-great-grandmother's dad bought it for four fifty off the lumber mill, burned the last of the structures, and farmed it for the rest of his life. When he died, my great-great-grandmother and her brothers sold it to the government. It's part of the Monongahela National Forest now. This was two decades ago. They used to do donkey tours in the Grand Canyon. You ride the donkey and then hike. You can camp, but we did the day tour. 
A woman that was probably in her late sixties, early seventies was in front of me and on an incline started to act strange. She was swaying left and right as on a steep cliff, which was very safe and wide. It swayed back and forth for maybe a minute and she was slumped over and then boom, it looked like she passed out and pulled a donkey to the left and fell over the cliff. I saw her tumble over and then they were just gone. I can't remember how far down the fall was, but it had to be over 100 feet. Immediately, the guide jumped off at the front, ran over and let out an audible scream before stopping after realizing she had a tour with her. A few people got off their donkey and she stopped them from peering over. A few of the other guides looked over and they made some radio calls and then we proceeded. It was very obvious that something really serious had happened, but we never found out. I'm pretty sure I watched a woman and a donkey fall to their death in the Grand Canyon. During a 2010-2011 West Pass on a ADDG, we were somewhere in the Indian Ocean. This is my best guess because I was in the air dead on the ship and never quite knew exactly where we were. One night after flight ops had ended me and two other guys from the detachment were lounging on the flight deck. We had brought out those collapsible camping chairs and were just sitting there stargazing because the view was amazing with the ship not having exterior lights on. As we were looking at the stars, I noticed a pale green star moving east to west from our perspective. The best way I can think of to describe this would be that it looked like it is satellite, except this one was a pale green color and had what I can only describe as three bars in front of it. Basically, it looked like a pale green Wi-Fi signal icon traveling east to west in the sky. The bar closet to the satellite was the smallest and the next two increased in size, exactly the same as a Wi-Fi icon. All three of us on the flight deck saw it and had no idea how to explain it. My best guess is that it actually was a satellite, but I can't explain the color or the bars that radiated outward in front of it. I know it was not a meteor or something similar as it maintained a constant speed across the sky and was the same brightness the entire time we were able to see. That was without a doubt the most unexplainable thing I've ever seen while on the ship, and to this day I still have no idea what it was. I was having a fire with some friends in northern Minnesota. Everyone was pretty drunk and talking really loud, but I saw one of my friends freezer like he was hearing something. A few seconds later, another friend freezes like he's hearing something too. But this whole time, I can't hear anything but my drunk friends jabbering away. I am the only one who notices the two getting up and start moving into a huge clearing where we were camping. Once we get out of earshot of the fire, I hear it too. I don't know how to describe what I heard. It was extremely loud, like a low-flying plane, but it was more high-pitched and the tone undulated at a really creepy interval. The sounds was traveling at a high speed across the landscape, and every five seconds the tone and undulation frequency changed. It probably covered two miles in thirty seconds and we could hear it traveling west out of earshot. Never found out what it was. 
My father used to be a helicopter pilot down the south of New Zealand. When he was starting out, he would do a lot of deer shooting in very isolated spots of the country. Only recently, he told me about a pretty creepy experience he had during an evening flight as he was making his way back up the country. He flew with just a spotlight, which I'm thinking would be illegal these days. Anyway, as he was approaching this small town call, Hast, basically in the middle of nowhere, he saw a bright green light in the sky. Not sure how far away it was, but he said he could hear it over the sound of his own helicopter. He said it disappeared pretty quickly after seeing it. He never reported it or anything, as he didn't want people to think he was crazy. My mom lives in the middle of nowhere. Her house is pretty far down a secluded gravel driveway that you wouldn't even know was there. The closest neighbor is about a half mile away. One morning she was up at about 5 a.m. getting her day started when the dogs outside started going absolutely nuts, which they only do whenever someone is on the property. She tried looking outside, but it was completely dark out. Later that day, the sheriff called his friends with my stepdad and told them that in the early hours of the day, a man had killed his wife and was running from the cops and had abandoned his car in the woods a few miles down from where their house was. He apparently accidentally stumbled upon their property when trying to cut through the woods. They caught up to him a few miles down and had a shootout with him and he was killed in the process. I've been an officer in our small town since well before I can even remember, but I have never experienced something quite similar to what I did. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Last week, I don't believe in the paranormal or anything of that kind. I never have, but the logic I've been raised to apply cannot begin to explain this. I have never quite seen something as strange. I'm not sure if anybody else has either. You see, there is no rational way to try and explain it or even make it sound plausible, but please bear with me. I need to tell you the story that changed my perspective on my life. At around 8 p.m., we had gotten word from dispatch about a dispute taking place between some college kids. Apparently, it had begun as a minor disturbance and soon turned into a full-fledged physical fight. The scene was a good one. Our drive, even if we drove like NASCAR racers. It was taking place at the literal border of our area of jurisdiction, so I was sure that we were going to be plenty late to the party. No other units were available at the time either, except for us, so we got moving. This is precisely why cops get a bad rep for always being late. You know the units nearby are always busy with something for some reason. 
Gene, my colleague, and I drove as I sat in a seat beside him, looking out the window and listening to my growling stomach. I hadn't eaten lunch that day due to work, and I'm not somebody who can go a long time without eating. At around 8.30, still a rather large distance away from our destination, we stopped at a drive through sandwich place that had come our way. We were going to be late anyway, so stopping for a few moments couldn't possibly hurt. I would not have been surprised if the fight was already over by now and everybody had just gone home or to the hospital or whatever. I unwrapped my sandwich as Gene resumed the drive. He only had bought an iced coffee despite me telling him to grab something to eat while he had the chance. He had been with me and had not had lunch yet either. My guess was he was not hungry anyway. There we were once again, driving through the empty road in silence. The road had thick trees on either side of it and completely void of people. It was pretty peacefully, actually, minus what it followed. At around 8.50, I noticed something weird out of the ordinary. The road had been straight all this while, but somehow we passed the sandwich shop that we had bought our stuff from once again. I pointed this out to Jean, who stopped and checked. Yes, we had been driving straight on a straight road for the last twenty minutes and somehow traveled in a circle. It was that very same sandwich shop. I told him to put it on his GPS if he doesn't know the way. He reluctantly did, swearing that he had been on this road multiple times and confidently knew the way. Once again, we left the shop behind us and continued the journey. I was rather observant of the outside this time. So when the long road lined with trees opened up to reveal the same shop, I couldn't believe my eyes. Gene had noticed it, too, and pulled over. He checked his GPS, but sure enough, we were again back at the same place. I couldn't understand it. Even I had driven on this road before, and it was not, and I promise, a circular path in any way. Something wasn't right. As he mumbled in confusion, I explained to him. Please let me drive now. It was 9.10 p.m. already, and he was repeatedly coming back to the same spot. This was not helping us. Looking carefully at the GPS on his phone in front of me, I began to drive. Even though I paid as much attention to the road in front of me as I did to the GPS route showing me a straight path to the destination, somehow we ended up by the shop yet again. I started freaking out. What is happening here? I looked at Jean, who was clearly as disturbed as I was. I couldn't just radio into dispatch and tell them we were going through some sort of time warp. They would think we're high or on drugs or drunk, so I had to think of something. I got out of the car and went to the owner of the shop. He was an older gentleman in his later sixties, the same one, actually, who had given me the sandwich. I told him about the weird thing happening with us and asked if somebody else had experienced it before. He was rather hard of hearing, so I had to repeat myself and raise my voice quite a few times. When he finally understood what I was trying to say, he looked clueless and simply shook his head. I walked back, disappointed. The conversation had not been fruitful in any way, and we drove off yet again, swearing that if the road somehow led us to the shop once more, I'd finally radio for the backup we needed. Keep in mind that I was plenty creeped out at this point, and so was Jean. At this time, however, the road lined with trees and went on for longer and did not lead us back to the same point. 
When I saw the connecting roads branching out from the one we were on, I felt a sigh of relief coming on like I'd never had before. Granted, we reached our scene by 9.50 p.m. and did not see a soul, but honestly, I didn't care. We had somehow been driving a circle on a straight road for over an hour, breaking out that there was more than enough time for me as Gene spoke to dispatch. I set the location in the GPS for the station, rerouting it so we didn't have to take the same path. No way in hell was I going to go through that again. As an officer, I have seen many weird things but I have always been able to somewhat explain it with reason and logic, irrational thinking, the strange animals, strange shapes, the paranormal, possessed people, people on drugs, gunfights, you name it, people are strange. However, something like this that feels like we were in the twilight zone, I don't know how to describe this. I've looked into this before, and the only thing that comes up is the Mandela effect which might or might not be part of what I experienced. Either way, it's hard for me to even comprehend and acknowledge that it really happened. The GPS and my memory both are a testament to the linearity of the path we were on, yet we had somehow been looped over and over again. And talk about the twilight zone. Let me know what you think. I would love to hear your opinion on what you think happened. Thirty-five years ago, I was perched in a valley tree stand during archery season in an tract of hardwoods near my parents' home. This tract bordered on of the state's largest mental health hospital. Growing up in the area, youth kids would build forts, etc., in the woods surrounding the hospital and occasionally run into patients who wandered off the hospital property as it had no fences. Most of the folks were harmless, but this facility did house a number of folks who were truly disturbed. Anyway, getting back to being perched in the tree stand one evening, I got that strange sensation of being watched. That feeling proved to be correct as I saw a figure moving through some thick brush on the hillside about 100 yards in front of me. Thinking it to be just be one of the wanderers, I didn't pay it any mind for a few minutes. Upon just beginning to relax, I was again overwhelmed with that feeling. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw a man walking on the storm sewer cut behind me about sixty yards. He was wearing sweatpants, typical of the hospital patients, and a blue flannel button-down, tuppy. I wasn't sure if he had seen me or not, but I had a feeling that this man wasn't one of the harmless patients as he began to pace back and forth along a thirty-yard length of the cut speaking and cursing loudly to no one, bawling his fists and hissing, spitting like a cat. It was getting close to sundown, so I thought it best to climb down and slip out of the woods, knowing I had a steep hill climb back to the house and didn't want to alert this man to my presence as he was between me and my way out. I waited until he had walked in the direction away from me, lowered my bow and pack, climbed down and started to do a long loop up and slightly around the hill in front of me. I dropped out of the woods against a pasture field, crested a short rise, and was surprised by the same man sitting on a fallen tree, massaging his bare feet, with no shoes anywhere in sight. Mm, I remember thinking there's no way that guy could get here before I did. I was stuck and had no choice but to go by him. <laughs> 
As I approached him, he looked up at me with eyes like Vincent D'Onofrio's character in the bathroom scene in Full Metal Jacket. As casually as I could, I said hello and kept walking back. As I passed, he asked me if I was in the army and on maneuvers. I said no and kept on walking. Behind me, he hissed loudly, and that put a hop in my step. I went about one hundred yards before looking back behind me. The man was gone from the fallen tree, although I didn't know which direction he had gone. I double-timed it up the hill and out of the woods towards home. Spooked me enough that I didn't go back there any more that year, and not long after, the land was sold and a housing development sprouted up. While the man may have been harmless, his actions and me, being an 18-year-old kid at the time, still make the hair stand up on my arms as I type this. This story was told to me by my uncle, who happens to be a park ranger in Ontario. He frequently comments on how calm his work has been after pandemic, with fewer tourists visiting. However, there are still instances where he has to venture into the wilderness to check on things. One day he had to navigate through the woods with a colleague due to reports of unauthorized individuals in the area. These reports were not uncommon usually involving mean-spirited teenagers causing trouble. However, what made these reports peculiar was the description of people carrying unusual items like axes and animal skulls. It was just weird stuff, and my uncle knew that people could be pretty racist in those parts. Speculations arose that these individuals could be Algonquin people, as the park was situated on their land. The thought of unhinged people worshipping Odin in the cold wilderness of modern-day Canada seemed far-fetched, but my uncle couldn't ignore the strange occurrences. As they ventured deeper into the wilderness, they discovered odd symbols carved into tree trunks, remnants of trash, and markings on the ground. It appeared that people had been actively camping in restricted areas. However, despite their efforts, my uncle and his colleague never encountered any campers during their patrols. But there were always weird things left behind, like a cape, a helmet, and even a real sword, as if someone had been indulging in Nordic cult practices. There were also traces of incense and other religious paraphernalia. These findings only added to the mystery surrounding the area. One night, my uncle and his colleague decided to set up camp near a massive elm tree for shelter against the frigid winds that plagued the nights. They enjoyed a meal of heated beans and rice while exchanging stories. They maintained communication with a portable radio to stay connected with the base. At one point, my uncle excused himself to relieve himself in the woods while his colleague remained by the fire. As minutes passed, my uncle realized that his colleague hadn't returned. Concerned, he called out for him, but there was no response. The atmosphere in the woods had become eerily quiet, devoid of the usual sounds of the night. A faint whisper caught my uncle's attention from his right side. He strained to listen, and moved in that direction, guided by the weak voice. It sounded like his colleague, but something felt off. The woods seemed too calm and quiet, giving my uncle an unsettling feeling. He called out to the voice, growing stronger as he ventured deeper into the wilderness. Then he heard his colleague's voice calling for help. However, my uncle sensed that something wasn't right. 
The tone and modulation of the voice didn't match his colleague's usual manner of speaking. It was an instinctual feeling that urged my uncle to proceed with caution. Armed with his rifle and flashlight, my uncle scanned the area, searching for any sign of his colleague. Instead, he came face to face with an unimaginable sight. Standing about four or five meters away in a small clearing surrounded by tall trees was a tall, genderless figure. Its thin frame and moose-skull-like head with antlers made it clear that this being was not of this world. The creature moved closer, emitting distorted and crackly sounds that mimicked his colleague's voice. Fearing for his safety, my uncle fired a warning shot into the air before turning and running as fast as he could. The unearthly noise that followed him was unlike anything human. My uncle ran until he realized he was lost in the dark wilderness. He had to wait for daylight to find his way back to the trail, relying only on his dying flashlight. When he finally reunited with his colleague John, it became apparent that John had experienced a similarly unsettling night. When my uncle returned to the campsite, nobody was there. John had heard my uncle's calls during the night and had also encountered strange noises that he couldn't quite comprehend. Concerned for my uncle's well-being, he waited anxiously for his return. In the morning, my uncle emerged from the wilderness, exhausted and disoriented. He recounted the events of the previous night to John. He listened intently, his worry growing with each passing word. They both believed that what they had encountered was something supernatural, possibly a wendigo. Although my uncle was not particularly religious or inclined to believe in such things, he understood the importance of respecting the rules of the wild. In the depths of the wilderness, where the line between reality and the unknown blurs, he realized that there are forces beyond our comprehension. From that day forward, my uncle and John never spoke of their encounter to anyone else. They carried the weight of that experience, knowing that some things are better left unexplained. The incident served as a reminder of the mysteries that dwell in the depths of the wilderness, hidden from the prying eyes of ordinary life. Even now, as time has passed, my uncle remains haunted by that encounter. The memory lingers, a constant reminder that there are realms and creatures beyond our understanding. It has changed him, instilling in him a deeper respect for the unknown and a sense of awe for the vastness of the natural world. Though their story may seem unbelievable to some, those who have ventured deep into the wilderness understand that there are things out there that defy explanation. My uncle and John carry their experience as a testament to the mysterious and uncharted aspects of our existence, forever changed by their encounter with the supernatural. I'm going to remain anonymous for this, but I had a signing of something that I can't explain in 2011 springtime. During the time, I was working as a police officer for a small town in northwestern Oklahoma. What made me take an interest in this particular case was the description given to me by the witness. It sounded just like how other witnesses have described other abnormals to include Sasquatch. I had one individual coming to the department as they were reporting what they thought they saw. It appeared to be a man with long black hair. No shirt or clothes standing near their pond at about one o'clock in the morning. 
Apparently, it looks like they were holding a knife or some sort of weapon. As he noticed them looking out their window, he began walking into the woodland, disappearing from view, nonetheless never returning only after several attempts of trying to find him by the reporting party. I'm not sure what he had actually had in his hand. I never asked him a description of it specifically, but I began to do some research on my own. I came across several websites dedicated to Bigfoot sightings where individuals could almost describe perfectly, with many others, what they had seen. In my years as an officer before retiring from law enforcement, I've come across multiple reports of unusual creatures being seen all throughout Oklahoma as well as neighboring states. In fact, just last year alone, I had another retired law enforcement officer tell me all about an experience that their own individual mother-in-law had while she lived out on a farm near Elk City. She told him about a time she had gone out to her chicken coop and had a face-to-face -to -face encounter with a small monkey-type animal standing on two feet without hair. It looked like it was wearing pants. It began making loud sounds before running away. It appeared as if it had jumped over multiple fences, only to disappear into the tree line. I also know that many people have reported seeing humanoid creatures looking similar to how Bigfoot looked and how Bigfoot is described. All through various areas all around Elk City, Shawnee as well, and even the town I grew up in, Guthrie, where witnesses and victims claim these creatures prey on livestock, chickens, goats, pigs, everything. This is also not the only time I've received reports involving unusual creatures that match what has been described by the witness to include Bigfoot or Sasquatch. I'm sure these things happen all the time throughout the United States and even other countries throughout the world. However, I'm most familiar with Oklahoma, and it appears to be designated for many areas of things like this. I really doubt a lot of these stories are made up. If you got a chance to sit down and talk to these witnesses, they're terrified. Something is happening here. What could these creatures be? How does somebody prove their existence without anyone ever actually catching one? Do they really exist in different forms? The Smoky Mountains National Park felt like a universe away from the concrete jungle of New York City that I'd always called home. The air was cleaner, the quiet more profound, and the sheer expanse of wilderness was mind-boggling. Ancient trees like sentinels stood tall, their leaves whispering secrets of centuries in the wind. The forest floor was a symphony of life, crackling underfoot with every step I took. My name is Rebecca Miles, though everyone calls me Becky. I was assigned to this park as a part of my community service sentence for a minor infraction. My task was simple, to monitor the illegal logging activities that had recently spiked in the area. But the reality of it was far more complex, and soon I found myself entangled in a web of events that felt straight out of a science fiction novel. It started with strange sightings, rumors whispered among the locals about a creature that resembled the mythical Sasquatch. I brushed it off as local folklore until one evening when I crossed paths with the unimaginable. There it stood, 
a hulking figure covered in thick fur with eyes that held an uncanny intelligence. The encounter was brief and terrifying. It disappeared into the forest, leaving me with a racing heart and a newfound realization. The Sasquatch was real. The situation escalated when the creature, or creatures as it seemed there was more than one, started to show signs of aggressive behavior. Reports poured in about sightings near local communities of livestock missing and of an inexplicable fear among the residents. It dawned on me that the Sasquatch, like the other animals in the park, were losing their habitats due to the illegal logging. I was faced with a challenge unlike any other. Not only did I have to expose the illegal loggers, but I also had to pacify the Sasquatch and find a way to restore their habitats. The days turned into a blur of tracking the loggers, collecting evidence, and studying the patterns of the Sasquatch. The task was perilous, and many a time I found myself narrowly escaping danger. Finally, armed with enough evidence, I reached out to the police. They were skeptical at first, but the undeniable proof made them swing into action. The illegal logging operation was busted, and a plan was put in place to restore the damaged parts of the forest. The Sasquatch, however, was a more complex problem. With the help of local experts, we managed to locate and confront the aggressive Sasquatch. The encounter was terrifying and intense. It ended with the Sasquatch's death, a resolution I was not entirely comfortable with, but was deemed necessary for the safety of the local communities. The police, while grateful for my help, made it clear that the existence of the Sasquatch was to remain a secret. They threatened me with serious consequences if word got out about our discovery. As I returned to my small cabin in the heart of the forest that night, I couldn't help but feel a sense of loss. I had entered this park, a city girl with a punishment to serve, but I was leaving with a profound respect for the wilderness and its secrets.